Well, uh, I'm glad you guys are here tonight. You guessed it, we're in Philippians uh, once again. We've been uh, here for about what's going to be a total of 10 to 12 weeks or so uh, when we get through with it. And uh, we're kind of rounding a corner tonight, so I'm really excited about that. And this is a great passage. So uh, welcome. Really glad you guys are here. If I don't know you, my name is Josh, the lead pastor here at the church. And um, if you're not already there, um, you can go ahead and flip there. Philippians chapter 3, first 11 verses. That's where we are tonight. Um, We'll always have it up on the screen, but it's, I, th- I think it's good practice to go ahead and flip there and, and get your hands on the Bible, um, just kind of get your thumb work out so that you can do that throughout the course of the week, right? And um, we do have some Bibles provided in the seats as well, and if you don't have one of your very own, uh, please take that white Bible home and, and just consider it our gift uh, to you. So it's been a good night of worship so far. Um, God is doing a really cool work among us, and I have all kinds of stories I, I want to share, but for the sake of uh, time. Uh, we've got a lot to cover tonight. I, I won't share it uh, right now, but I will say that God's doing a great work among us, and uh, I'm telling you, he's doing a great work in all of Boston at large, and so um, a guy named Henry Blackaby once said, you know, if, if you figure out where God's working and you go there, right? And so he's working, so we're here, and we just want to you know, jump on the train and let him do his thing, and so i uh, very excited about what he's up to. Uh, I'm also... Uh, uh, very excited for all that he has in store. Um, as you guys uh, who were here last week know, we announced uh, that Dan Mesher and his family are going to be moving out here. They, they've kind of preached here. He's preached here a few times in the past. They're going to move out here to Boston and join us as our connection pastor and help us just further our community engagement efforts. And so, so those of you guys who were here last week, you met him. But if you would all just uh, make a point to write his name down and, and be praying for Dan and his family. His wife is Jody. And they have uh, two boys, Asher and uh, Danny. And Danny is a foster child. We mentioned to you guys uh, last week that they were in the process of uh, adopting Danny. Everything has been kind of moving along. And, and they say that the way things typically work is your court date, date gets pushed back here and there for various reasons. And so it's been quite a few months of that. The judge is sick this month. Uh, somebody couldn't show up the next month. And so it's been like six months of getting pushed back. Uh, and... They just got word this week that now, out of the blue, the family has decided they want to try to fight to get Danny back. And this is a family who was uh, ready to sign off months and months ago. Um, And so let's just pray for them. Uh, You guys heard Danny in here last week. He was very vocal. And uh, if you guys just want to pray for uh, Danny and the Lord's will in that, that would be uh, great. Also pray they have a house to sell in Central Mass. So pray for that as well. And then also pray... uh, uh, just for the support that they have to raise. And so if you guys would write their names down, be praying for them. Also, uh, just write down um, and be praying throughout the course of the week for the ladies that we have in our midst that are pregnant. And so we uh, are expecting some babies. And so uh, praise God for that. So just join me in, in praying for that and pray for health and, and all that good stuff. And uh, wellness for the, pa- the mothers, I, you know, that's, that's difficult. Uh, a lot of nausea, back aches, it all just kind of piles up. So pray for that. Been through it, know it well, and so uh, we'll be praying hard. Uh, also, uh, one more thing to pray for. Uh, would you be praying for the, the kids that were ministered to yesterday at our monthly Kids Connect up at Washington Street Housing Complex? Uh, we had our Kids Connect there, and for those of you guys who worked ha- so hard to, to put it together, uh, thanks a lot for that. And if you guys would just join us and really uh, further support those who were serving there by, by just praying for these children and their families that we were able to minister to, Ask God that he would just save them and just awaken them. There's so many of those children that, that were there yesterday. They don't have any fathers in their lives, and so we're really burdened for that. And so if you guys would uh, just make a point to pray for them and, and pray for those who are working so hard, 
uh, to minister to them. And uh, I'd be grateful for that. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just go into a time of prayer and lift up these things? And so I'll let you uh, just take a, uh, maybe a 30 seconds or so and just, just kind of lift up a prayer to God uh, about some of these things and specifically ask him to uh, speak through your heart uh, tonight. And then I'll, uh, I'll pray for us. Father, it is no small thing that we can gather like this tonight um, and hear from you in your word and lift up your name and worship you and edify each other and spur one another on, as Hebrews says, uh, to to love and good deeds. And so, God, I just pray that tonight um, all of that would happen and so much more. You know um, our hearts. You know uh, where you need to break through. You know what we need. And so, God, we just, we commit it over to you tonight. And God, I just, I pray that. you would be all over these things that are uh, on our hearts um, that, that we're talking about here tonight. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, the Mesher family, uh, so much on their plate. And, and God, we just lift them up to you. We thank you for uh, just the, the word that he brought last week as he, he preached for us. We thank you for how we were able to flesh some of that out in our connection groups midweek. And uh, God, I just pray specifically uh, for the situation with Danny. Lord, uh, You know what you're doing, and uh, we, we completely trust you. And so we just hand it over to you, God. We pray um, that you would guide that whole situation, the, the court date and, and everything involved there, Lord. Uh, we, we care so deeply for this child, and we know you do as well. And so, God, we just ask for your best. God, we ask that this child would, would be able to be raised in a home that, that would, would, would raise him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that he would come to know you. And so we just commit him to you. And, uh, Lord, we, we commit his biological parents to you. You know where they're at. You know their struggles, their addictions, you know, all of that, Lord. And, and we just pray that you would break through to their hearts, that they would come to know Jesus Christ, and, and he would radically change them. So we commit them to you, Lord. God, we also want to pray for those ladies in our midst who are, are pregnant. Lord, thank you uh, for, for, for these gifts, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would, as a church, be able to rally around them and support them and care for them. And, uh, God, we pray that these children would grow up to know you and love you and serve you. And so we commit them into your hands. We pray for um, uh, growth in, in, in the, the lives of these ladies. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to draw them closer to you as they prepare for all that is in store with, uh, with parenthood. And so we commit them into your hands, Lord. And, God, we also pray for these children at, at Washington Street Housing Complex. Lord, thank you that you've allowed us to uh, be just a, a fraction, just a small part of their lives. Uh, but, God, we pray that the, the scriptures that have been taught, that have been memorized with those children, Lord, that they would, in fact, be living and active in their hearts and just moving and changing them and preparing them for the day that your Holy Spirit just ignites their heart that they would come to faith in Jesus. And so we commit them to you, Lord. We commit their, 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 their parents to you, Lord. We pray that, that fathers would be awakened and come back into their, their children's lives, that they would bear responsibility and be the men that you want them to be. And so we pray for a breakthrough there, God. And, and Father, we pray for strength for those mothers who are flying solo in this who have to work and who have to raise children and just just so heavy and burdened uh, by this. Lord, we just commit them to you. Lord, may they know that they're not alone as we we show up and serve there. Lord, may we help them. And uh, Lord, would you do your work in their hearts and in their lives. We pray your spirit would fall heavy on that complex and do a great work, Father. So we commit that to you. Lord, this is your night. Lord, we we again, we're, we're so grateful for it. We commit it to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so again, we have been in this series that we're calling Unconventional 
uh, joy, a series through Philippians. And, and in this letter, we, we see that for us as Christians, we can have joy that is, you guessed it, unconventional. That we can have joy uh, that is, is rooted in the unchanging uh, Lord Jesus Christ and, and not in our ever-changing uh, life circumstances. And so let me explain a little bit about this. I'll kind of try to illustrate this for you. And so uh, several times a week, some of you guys know me, you know this is kind of how I roll, but several times a week I'll set up shop, set up office in an unnamed coffee shop. And we'll keep it unnamed because I don't want to incriminate anyone. Uh, I'm not a connoisseur of coffee, so that's not why I'm there. Uh, I, I'm fine with Folgers, but the reason I set up there is because when my kids come home from school and I have a home office, things would just blow up. And so I have to, you know, I have to move on. Uh, and, and be able to get some work done. And so uh, I've been hanging out at this unnamed coffee shop a few times a week, setting up shop. And, and basically, I'll, you know, I'll buy my coffee, which is basically renting a table and free Wi-Fi you know, for a few hours. And so that's, that's how I see it. Uh, it's not the whole third place thing. I'm not trying to be you know, like really cool thespian or whatever. With my bra- that's not me. Uh, so I, that's what I do. And, and part of being a regular at a coffee shop is you get to know some of the regulars a little bit. You get to see them. And... Uh, so, uh, there, like, there's this one older couple that comes in, and I'm telling you, I just get a, I get a kick out of these guys. They, they, they kind of have become known uh, for being a couple that comes in, they're just very loud, and they bicker amongst themselves very loudly, and so everybody just knows all of their junk and what's going on. And so, for example, um, this, is, this is typically what will happen, something along these lines. Like, he'll be sitting at a table, and they have their one table on one side of the coffee shop, then on the other side of the coffee shop, is the place where you would prepare your coffee with cream and sugar and all that good stuff, whatever you do. And, and so he'll be sitting at the table, and uh, he'll scream across, across the shop at his wife and say, hey, give me some napkins, would you? <laughs> and she'll go, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she'll just back and forth across the, across the way. And uh, then I even one time he was sitting at his table, and he shouted up to the person behind the counter and said, hey, get over here and clean my table, would you? <laughs> just, I mean, just there. It's crazy. It's crazy. And so I, I, I get a kick out of these guys. Now, there's also this one lady who comes in and just through some, uh, some snooping, I guess I'll say, I can't really help it. But she comes in and she's got her cell phone and she just has the loudest conversations you can possibly imagine on her cell phone. And so through my snooping, I figured out that she's a New Yorker and, and she, which that says a lot, right? So she comes between Boston and New York and I see her there a lot. And, and she's always, I, I, what I think, she does is I, I, I think she is some kind of critic for Broadway shows. She's always talking Broadway. She's always talking about articles she's writing. And so I think she's a critic, you know. And so she's just loud and, and, and mean, and it's, it's great. I, it's just, she doesn't mess around, and I, I really, really enjoy it. And so she'll be, she'll be screaming on the phone at somebody. And then one thing she does is she just likes to hang up on people quick. She'll be like, all right, chap, go, bye. It just hangs up right on them right there. Get it to me by nine. Ciao. Boom. It just, that's how she rolls. And so uh, if you remember, it was a couple of weeks ago, there was a freakishly warm day in the middle of our winter. I mean, I know the whole winter has been weird, but this was a, a particularly warm day. And for, I don't know what it was, but these, these two uh, sets of characters come in. And so first the, the, the elderly couple comes in, and I just could not help but notice they were abnormally jolly. I mean, they just, they just came in, and, and the man sits at his table, and, and she goes up to the, uh, to the counter to buy their coffee, and he says to his wife, he says, hey, hey, tip that lady nicely, would you? Tip the lady nicely. <laughs> so, All right, good. And then he goes over there, and he, 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 uh, she's over there fixing their coffee, and while he's sitting at the table, he says, 
hey, honey, would you, would you give me some napkins, please? And I said, did he just say honey? Did he just say please? I mean, what's good? Something's, and then as I'm like taking that in, no joke, in comes New York lady on her phone. And this conversation, this time on her phone is, darling, oh, it was marvelous, darling. It was wonderful, fabulous. And then she's like, all right, honey, I'll see you in the morning. Ciao. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, what is, what is up with this day? And, and I don't know, I was, I, I was thinking about it. I was just thinking, could it really be the weather? Like, could it? It was, a, it was a warm day. They come in, and they're happy. And I don't know. I don't want to, like, draw conclusions, but it could be the weather. I don't know. And, and I, I say all this to just kind of illustrate for us that, that what we've been pointing out throughout the course of this series is that uh, for many people, in fact, for, for most people today, uh, our joy uh, is really a contingent upon our circumstances, right? And so uh, if the weather's nice, we have joy, but it's not all that for us. If, if our relationships are, are conflict-less, we, we can have joy. If our, our careers are going as planned, we can have joy. If our school load is not too heavy and, and, and not so stressful, we can have joy. If our portfolios are, are shaping up the way we want them to, there's joy. Our health is good, joy. Family's healthy, uh, joy. Uh, there, there's no issues among our loved ones joy. And so that's kind of how we, we often typically work, that our joy really kind of hinges on uh, our, our, our life circumstances. And, and I, I would hope that throughout the course of this, this series that we have seen that this way just stinks. It just doesn't work because what we end up having is, is we end up living life with our joy just kind of up and down and up and down depending on the ebb and flow of of life's circumstances. And, 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 and our joy is inconsistent because life is good and tough and easy and rough and it's just all over the place. And so our joy just kind of rides on, on that uh, way. But, but as we've talked about all along, that if our joy is rooted in the stable, unchanging God of the universe, then our joy can be consistent even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it's, 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 it's difficult and things are confusing and life is cloudy and we don't get it, we can have joy. We can choose joy. It's right uh, before us because it's rooted in uh, the Lord. And so that's where we find Paul at in this passage tonight. He's in the thick of, of difficulty, yet somehow he's just full of joy, right? Uh, and, and that is very countercultural, right? He is in the thick of, of trial and difficulty, and yet he's, he's full of joy. So let's read uh, chapter 3, verse 1 uh, again. It says, finally. So finally, we're, we're, we're turning a corner. We've been in this for a while. Finally, we're starting to turn a corner here. Um, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And so what's he saying? He's saying, rejoice. I'm going to tell you again, rejoice, 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 rejoice. Joy, you have joy, and re, do it again, over and over and over and over and and over again. And and he then kind of says, I don't care if I sound like a broken record because it's safe for you. This is by me saying, have joy in the Lord. He's saying it's, it's safe for you. And what's the opposite of safe? dangerous and so he's saying it's dangerous for you to live a life where you're seeking your 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 joy 
in, in, in your circumstances. Is, that's, that's dangerous for you because what's going to happen is that you're going to be led away from the Lord. When life gets tough, you're going you're to start to say, okay, God, what's going on? You start to question God when life gets tough. And you say, well, I guess you're not real. God, life is really hard right now. I guess you're not able to handle this. And, and Paul says that's dangerous when you try to live your life where your joy is contingent upon is it good or is it bad right now. But you can have joy that's in the unchanging uh, Lord. You can choose to rejoice in the Lord always. He'll, he'll later say, again, I say uh, rejoice. And so you can know that he's working. You can know that he's in control even when life is crazy. Uh, so joy is, is in, in a sense, it, it is trust, right? It's, it's trust in God, and it, it keeps you safe. It keeps you close to the Lord. When things are cloudy, things don't make sense. When you can't see because your eyes are too full of tears, you stay close to the Lord. You can have joy in the Lord. You can trust in the Lord. So Paul starts with this reminder, rejoice, right? Rejoice. And then he changes tone. Wow, really fast here. Verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs. What's that word? Dogs, right? Look out for the dogs. Now, we don't have to study the deep cultural context of, of this word. I think this, it's kind of safe for us to say that this word transcends generations. It doesn't matter period or, or, or day. It doesn't matter. This word is never a compliment, right? Look out for the dogs, he says. His tone has, has changed a lot. And the letter gets kind of tense for a period here. And, and it's been a lot of uh, Philippians, I love you. Thank you for your support. You are partners with me in the gospel, the good news, message, work of Jesus. He says, we're friends. I miss you. I long for you. I want to be with you. Love each other humbly. Love each other sacrificially as is modeled uh, by Jesus. And now he says, oh, and look out for those dogs, right? Look out for the dogs. He's getting uh, very, very heavy here. And, and, and so this is a man who is, is facing death in Rome, remember, right? He is in chains in Rome. He is separated from these people that he's writing this letter to, these people that he loves, these people that are like his, his family. He's, he's away from them. Uh, they're, they're having families, having babies, and growing and loving and enjoying each other's fellowship. And he's alone in, in, in Rome. And uh, even on top of all of that, 2 Corinthians 11 uh, will tell us, if you ever want to read through that, uh, that, that he has been whipped right, 39 times, five different times. You do the math, that's a lot. He has been stoned and left for dead. He has been shipwrecked. He has been robbed. He has been betrayed. He is suffering sleepless nights. He is anxious for the churches that he has started. And so he is just, he's got a lot, a lot on him. And now on top of all of that, we see he is strongly being opposed. And yet in the middle of all of this, what does he say, verse 1? Rejoice. Rejoice, right? And, and, and I want us to be reminded here that, that one of those circumstances in life where we can have joy is the circumstance of opposition. And, and some of you maybe have faced that but before. Listen, if you are a Christian who is faithful to the Lord and, and you're not trying to fly under the radar in your faith, you're, you're openly talking about Jesus, if that's you, you will face opposition. And, and some of you have experienced, I've given my life to Jesus, but then... I face some opposition. Maybe it's from a, a family member or family members. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a professor. Maybe it's a coworker or or a friend. But some of you have faced opposition. Uh, there's this uh, church in this little rural village of Hacienda Grande, Honduras, that that I and a group of others were able to kind of help pioneer the church start in, in this village. And so the first time we went, there was uh, 
just one new believer that we had seen come to faith. The next time we went, there was like 23. The next time we went, they had blown up to like 130-something and started two other churches in neighboring villages. And so that third time, they said, would you help us do our very first baptism? We're just ecstatic about that. And so we go through these cornfields, and, and, and we get out in this beautiful picture. There was just this, this river, children playing in the river, and this huge tree just over the river, and, and all these... Uh, Hondurans with, there was like four of them playing guitars, this Latin groove, you know, it was just, it was awesome. And, and we got into the water and we did this baptism and everybody was celebrating and cheering and praying and crying. It was wonderful. We go back, we have some food. And, and then the next day, after a good night's sleep, the next day, uh, we, we gathered together again just to continue to encourage them in the Lord. And, and uh, I remember two come back and they're just broken. They're just sobbing. Their family heard about their baptism. And, and, and kicked them out of the house. And they were now basically excommunicated from their family. So we don't want anything to do with you anymore. It was kind of a, a Catholic mixed with voodoo church that they were involved in. And they said, no more. Get out of here. It didn't matter when they had started to follow Jesus and began a relationship with Jesus because it wasn't really for them and, and, and their church that they had come from. It wasn't really real until they actually got dunked and baptized. And for, su- for some reason, at that point, it was, it's over. We're done. And, and yet somehow they were able to have uh, joy in the Lord as we continue to in, encourage them. But there's opposition. And, and some of you maybe have not faced opposition like that, but you have faced opposition. We're going to face opposition in, in various forms uh, in, in our lives. And let me remind you that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus says, Whoever denies me before men, I will deny uh, before my Father who is in heaven. And so... Do not make the mistake of, of denying the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you deny me before men, I deny you before the Father who is in heaven. But if you really have come to saving faith in Jesus, you can't help but tell people about what's happened in your life. You can't help but, but, but go public with your faith. And so if that's you, opposition is going to arise. And don't be surprised at it. It's going to come. People are going to say you're... You're narrow-minded. Now, we could argue that apologetically and say, no, actually, you're being narrow-minded by telling me that I'm narrow-minded because you're saying that your way is better than my way. And we could just go on and on and on. I think we could argue that apologetically. But you're going to be accused of that. You're going to be accused of, of being ignorant. You believe in that? You might as well believe in unicorns. Are you serious? Right, you're going to be accused of being a Bible thumper, right? We're going we're, we're to get that. Opposition arises. Don't be surprised at it. But remember, the approval that you want is the approval of of the Lord, right? Not of other people. Now, let me say this. However, don't be that guy, right? Or that girl, right? We all, I think we all know that that guy or that girl who, it, it's like they're always looking for opposition. It's like they always thrive off of, let me get into some kind of spiritual fight, right? You know that guy, uh, the, the Christian who's just thinking, you know, like if, if I can't get somebody angry at me, then I must not have been bold enough in, in sharing and proclaiming the gospel, right? And listen, don't be that guy. It's not the same thing. Being a jerk and being bold for Jesus, two different things, right? Two different things. First Peter uh, 3.15 uh, says that, that in your hearts we are to, to set apart Christ as Lord, to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason of the hope that we have, but do this with what? Somebody know it? With gentleness and respect. And so we're to, to share Jesus with with gentleness and respect. Now, even when you share with gentleness and respect, you're going to face opposition. It doesn't say that if you do it with gentleness and respect, people are going to say, 
let's hug. I don't agree, but let's hug. People are still going to think you're a Bible thumper, you're crazy at times. However, don't go seeking a spiritual fight. That's, that's ridiculous and not, not loving. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, why are we t- saying this? Because uh, Josh, gentleness and respect, he just called them dogs, right? Where's the gentleness and respect there? Understand that, that Paul really takes his cues from Jesus. And if you read through the Gospels, you see the, the life of Jesus on this earth. Uh, Jesus uh, was gentle when necessary, but he was also harsh at times. He was harsh when, when necessary. And so the times you, you will see often Paul and, and, and Christ being uh, harsh uh, are, are the times when uh, involved is things like the, the oppression of the weak. Uh, they'll be harsh when uh, there's just serious self-righteousness. They'll be harsh when there's strong deceit happening in the church. Then they'll be harsh. And that's really where we're at here uh, in, in chapter 3 of, of Philippians. Paul is being firm. He's calling someone dogs, right? Evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about uh, these people that we, we refer to as the Judaizers, right? These are, are Jewish Christians who, who sought to get uh, Gentile or non-Jewish Christians to uh, observe the Jewish Old Testament law, the law of, of Moses. And, and from their perspective that if I could get a Gentile uh, uh, Christian uh, to observe the Old Testament law, then they would then be uh, admitted into God's covenant people. Uh, and that would be the church, right? That's how the Judaizers saw it. But they were dead wrong. And we'll work through that uh, throughout the course of of the rest of this gathering. The Old Testament uh, Mosaic Law uh, was never, never intended um, for all people at all times everywhere. The, the Old Testament Mosaic Law was intended for the Hebrews. It was intended for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel. And so uh, there were laws that did different things. God was up to a few different things. One, there were laws that, that were given to, to set them apart from other nations. They would be a distinct nation. Uh, we would see they are unique. They are God's people. And the Messiah would come from these people. There were also laws that were, um, were, were given to show Israel how to handle sin and how to take it serious, like sacrificial laws, um, as opposed to the laws that, that set them apart, like how to dress and, and how to eat. There were also laws uh, that were, were laws given to help them to honor God, like the, the, the Ten Commandments. In all, the first five books of the Bible, uh, the, the Pentateuch, right, there, there are 600-plus Laws And these laws helped set them apart uh, as a nation, help them to honor God and, and be the people that the Messiah would come from all the way, uh, all throughout that history that God would be pointing them uh, to the coming Messiah, to Jesus. And God used these laws and he used these regulations as, as symbols. They were just big, massive, historical object lessons along the way. Uh, lessons that would really ready people through history for the coming of Jesus to save us from our sin. And so when Jesus comes and he lives life perfectly and then he dies and then he, he resurrects, uh, all of that expectation, that groaning, that longing that they've been going through has now been fulfilled in Jesus. And so we don't need that law anymore because we have who? Jesus, right? We have Jesus. And so Galatians 6, 2 uh, says we are now under the law of Christ, right? Or, or Romans 10, 4 says that, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so let me give you some, some illustrations of how the law served as, as, as symbolism. Uh, so the, the law uh, would outline, describe the tabernacle, which is the tent version of the temple. So it talks about the tabernacle and, and the tent and the place where God's presence would, would 
dwell. Well, that was, historically speaking, was destroyed um, in AD 70 under Rome. And so we don't need a, a temple any longer for God's presence to dwell. Why? Because we have Jesus, right? And, and, and Matthew chapter 1, 23 says that Jesus is the presence of God. He is God with us, right? The law will also describe uh, that, that there, were, there were priests, and the priests were to uh, mediate between God and, and, and men, but we no longer need those mediators because Hebrews chapter 4, 15 tells us that there is one mediator, and that is Jesus, right? So we don't need it any longer because we have Jesus, the great high priest. There's also uh, the, the symbol of the, the sacrificial system, how they would deal with their, their sin. And the priest then would, was also sacrifice an animal like a, a lamb uh, so that sin could be dealt with by blood being shed for sin. But then in John chapter 1, uh, 29, what does uh, John the baptizer say? He sees Jesus coming, says, behold the lamb, right? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we no longer need a lamb. Uh, we have the perfect lamb. We have Jesus, the lamb of God. He is perfect. He's done it once and for all. It is over. No more of that, right? And so we have forgiveness of sin through Jesus. He paid our, our penalty. He shed our blood. He is our substitution. So if you want more of this, I would encourage you to study the book of Hebrews. I mean, it just really lays it out. It shows how Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament law. Uh, very interesting, very important stuff for you to get a good grip on the scripture. I, I talk to people all the time, and that's a number one question even among Christians. Like, I read this in the Old Testament. Why don't we? Now you get it, right? Hopefully you, you can get that. Read it more in, in, in Hebrews. And so uh, we, have, we have Jesus. One more symbol that we, we get here in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, the law called for circumcision of, of boys, right? It began with Abraham that, that as a mark of God's covenant with Abraham and these people uh, that, that they were to be uh, circumcised, right? For Abraham and all uh, Hebrew people. It was done on the, the eighth day of, of life. So boys at eight, eight days old, they would... Uh, it would be circumcised, right? And, and obviously we no longer need this anymore because we have Jesus, right? That's why Romans uh, 2.29 uh, says circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter, not the law, right? So we are now circumcised of the heart, right? And so look at Philippians 3, uh, verse 3. Philippians 3, uh, verse 3, what does he say? He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the, the flesh, right? And so uh, here's what's going on. We, we, these, these people who are opposing the Apostle Paul at this time, uh, they are, are saying that, that you need Jesus and you need circumcision to be made right with God, right? Verse 2, what does Paul call them? He says, uh-uh, you are dogs, you are evildoers, you are mutilators of the flesh now that is a pun if i've ever heard one in my life right god has a sense of humor you're allowed to laugh at that right here's what here's what the judaizers are struggling with they didn't get they didn't understand that jesus fulfilled the law they didn't they didn't fully get that and so they would say you need jesus and you need circumcision you need jesus and you need to add something else to that to be made right with god and in essence what they're saying is that jesus isn't enough saying you need more than 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 just jesus you need jesus plus circumcision there's this uh new book out it's been released i don't know maybe the past year or so by a guy a theologian and pastor named uh, tolian uh Chavijan. and the book is is great and it's titled jesus plus nothing equals everything jesus plus nothing equals uh, everything and here's the idea from scripture you need jesus alone right jesus plus nothing 
equals all you need for salvation, right? But the Judaizers, they were Jesus plusers, weren't they? They were, they were Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus adherence to the Old Testament law. And they're saying Jesus isn't enough. Jesus isn't good enough is basically what they were saying. And, and what you'll see is as you read through the New Testament, you follow the life of Paul. Wherever there was Paul, there was often Judaizers, right? These guys were always there, always opposing him, always fighting him, always trying to lead the people that he led to Christ astray. And here, Paul just, he's done. He's like, I've, I've had it. And so he, he, he gets harsh. He has a heavy tone here. He loves the Philippians so much that he warns them, right, with stern words. Like I would warn my children with stern words. No, you need to stay away. This is a big deal. You don't get it. Stay away, right? He warns them. He says, be on guard for the Judaizers. Be warned, right? They're trying to weigh you down. They're trying to put something uh, burdensome on your shoulder that is unnecessary. They're trying to say Jesus plus circumcision, and it's unnecessary. It's, it's not needed. And I know, listen, I know that, that we're not fighting the circumcision battle today, right? I get that, right? And so uh, we need to understand that uh, for us, it's a plethora of other things. So here's how it applies to you. Uh, today, we can try to add things to Jesus, right? We, we can add things to Jesus. And so some people uh, will say, a spiritualist may say, it's Jesus plus moralism equals you'll get into heaven, into the kingdom of God. Others may say it's Jesus plus humanitarianism will get you uh, to heaven. Jesus plus social justice, that'll get you to heaven. Jesus plus environmentalism, well, that'll get you to heaven. These are, these, some of these are great things, they're good things, but you don't put those with Jesus in an equation that leads you to heaven. It's Jesus alone leads you to heaven, and then flowing out of that, you want to do things that honor the Lord. You want to honor his creation. You want to care for the poor. You want to care for the sick. But it's not, I do these things to earn his favor. That's not how it that's not how it works at all. It's Jesus alone. And all the Christians can hear that and say, amen, brother. Amen. I, I'm with you, right? But, but even Christians do this today, and so we try to add things to Jesus, uh, maybe even subconsciously, like you don't know that you're doing it. But uh, many Christians will say, Jesus plus, you must dress a certain way, equals then you're right with God. Then, then his favor is upon you. Or, or, or Jesus plus baptism then God's favor is upon you. Or Jesus uh, plus speaking in tongues, uh, then you're, you're right with God. Or Jesus plus a certain style of, of, of how you do church, that's how it's supposed to be done. Or Jesus plus this denomination, that's how it's done. Or Jesus plus this political party, that's, that's how it's done. Jesus plus this particular cause, and on and on and on and on and on and on we can go, and we can add to Jesus. And what you're doing is you're being religious, Right? And God did not save us to a religion. He saved us to a relationship with him. He's restoring our relationship. And we, when doing that, are being religious. We're saying, I can earn God's favor. It's Jesus, yes, and I trust in him. But I also got to do a couple things to really make God happy. And therefore, you all have to do that, like me, to make God happy. And then you can be right with God. And that kind of religion is ugly. It's just ugly. Start to see how it leads to self-righteousness. Because you start to think, uh, I got it. They don't. I, I can do this. I, I'm living this certain way. It's, it's I do this really well, and, and they don't. And, and, and you have to realize, I did nothing. You have to be reminded, I did nothing to earn God's favor. Jesus did everything 
for me to have God's favor uh, upon me. And so I trust in Jesus. And there's such humility that comes with that. Because now rather than looking at everybody else and say, you know, you're not doing what I'm doing. You're not right with God. What you do is you, you realize, you know what? I need fully, I fully need Jesus. And they fully need Jesus. And it puts us all on a level playing field. And so you're no longer self-righteous, but you're Jesus-righteous. That's what we need to be. Verse 4, Paul says, you put no confidence in the flesh, right? He's talking about your, your body and all these external things that we think we can do to earn God's favor. He says, you put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in your performance. You put confidence in Jesus' performance, in his sinless life, in his substitutionary death, in his resurrection uh, from the dead for our sins. Now, Paul goes on. Look at verse, verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love this. I love this. Paul is saying, listen, by saying all this, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this just because I don't have it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not very good, so that's not important. He's saying, that's not it at all. He's saying, actually, I've got it on all of you Judaizers, right? All that stuff that you think earns God's favor, he's like, I, I had all of that. Before being a Christian, I had all of that. And so what he does is he starts, to, he starts to show his resume. Look at his resume here in verses 5 and 6. Here's Paul's resume. He says, uh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Man. So he's like, here's my resume. I'm not saying all this because I don't have it. I'm telling you, before Jesus, I, I had all of this too. Some of his credentials, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I was circumcised eight days old. I was born into this, right? I wasn't a proselyte who was converted and then circumcised at, at a later date. Like, later on in life, I was born into this, circumcised on the eighth day. I was eight days old, according to the law. He says, I was of the people of Israel, of the, of the tribe of Benjamin. So he says, you can trace my line all the way back. People of Israel, I'm all the way back to Abraham, right? I come from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm, a, I'm a, from a notable family. He goes on, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, I'm, a, I'm purebred here, right? Because I don't come from a mixed lineage. I am. My mother and father are Hebrews. I mean, I got all of this. He says, as for the law, I was a Pharisee. You know anything about the Pharisees? These were the, the most law-abiding uh, citizens out there in terms of the, the Mosaic law. They consumed themselves with every detail so that they might get it right. And it became legalism for them. He says, I, I got all of that. I was a Pharisee. Verse 6, he says, as for zeal... Well, I was zealous. I was a persecutor of the Christian church. I had it all together. Passion for God. Oh, I had it. I had it. He's like, I was there. I persecuted Christians. And we read in Acts, he was there at the, the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, right? He goes on, he says, as for righteousness under the law, blameless. You could not find fault in me, Paul says. At of the 600 laws in those first five books of the Old Testament, I had them down. I mean, I was blameless. You could not find fault. Now, that is a Jewish resume right there. I mean, that is it right there. And what I want to do is I want to just start to to round third base and, and bring it home a little bit here. Uh, I, I, 
I printed off a resume. I found this on my computer, um, and I printed it off. Um, uh, a few years back, uh, the, the, the mother church, the parent organization of start this new church start here, um, we were, I was one of the elders there, and we were looking for a couple pastoral positions. And so we had just literally hundreds of resumes we were going through uh, together. And I, just resume after resume, credential after credential after credential. And it's just a weird thing. Uh, you know, putting your credentials on a pastoral resume is just weird because you're not supposed to boast in anything but Jesus anyway. So it's just, it's tough. I mean, I, I was kind of waiting for the resume that just came in and just said, Jesus, that would be awesome, right? But, but they just said credential, and I would have been like, that's the one. Let's, I don't know. He could have like, you know, he could be crazy, but that's cool. And so we resume after resume after resume. And, and here's the thing, though. We were looking for a few very specific things in, in the resumes. We were like, nope, nope, nope. And, and now listen to what, what Paul says in, in, in 7 and 8. He says, but whatever I had gained, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. That's a strong word. In order that I may gain Christ. Right. So so Paul's saying, look, credential after credential after credential after credential. You can stand before God at judgment and you can say, check it out, God. Look what I did. You might have the most impressive resume. But it won't matter if you don't have Christ in your resume. It won't, it won't matter. He's looking for, for one thing. He's looking for your resume to say what? This is it. Jesus. And hopefully he doesn't grade on handwriting, right? Jesus. That's what, he, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for your resume to say, I trusted in Jesus. All things are lost compared to knowing Jesus. Paul's saying, I had it all together. Compared to knowing Jesus, it doesn't matter. It's all rubbish. Rubbish. I, I could really go into that word and just, it's bad, right? Rubbish compared to, to knowing Jesus. He says, your righteousness before God. I'm telling you, it's it's. It's not you. It's not your performance. Your, your righteousness before God is not your keeping the, the law, the Old Testament law, or even for you, the New Testament law. That We just read the, the Bible and we say, I live that way and therefore God, right? He says, that's not it at all. He says, your righteousness before God is, is not your resume. It's what? What does he say? It's faith. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. He says, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through, give me the word, faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on, he says it again, faith, right? It's repeating to add emphasis. Your righteousness is not on your performance. You don't earn your way to heaven. You don't earn your way to right standing before God. You say, I trust in Jesus. I put faith in Jesus. I trust Jesus alone. Now, Look at 10 and 11. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, listen, what matters is that I know Jesus. What matters is that I have a relationship 
with Jesus. Not that I'm religious, not that I did a bunch of good things and earned God's favor. And then Paul reminds us of his, his personal suffering and his uh, imminent death, right? We read at the beginning of the letter that very likely uh, he's about to die. Uh, we know the end of the story because of Second Timothy that he doesn't go on to die at this occasion, but it's, it's possible. And, and so he reminds us of that, and he says, but so be it. And he's like, all right, it's fine. If I suffer, if I die, so be it, because I get Christ. It's, I get Christ, and I can have joy despite the opposition that leads to my suffering and even my death. I can know God. And like Jesus, he says, and I can share in his resurrection. That I don't just die and then die eternally, but I die and I'm resurrected to life in Christ. And that eternal life can start today for those of you guys who don't know know Jesus. And I know that some of us in this room, some of us, we, we, we've never trusted Jesus with our heart, with our whole life. We've never placed saving faith in Jesus. We've, we've thought if I can do this, if I can perform, if I can be good enough, then I'll get there. The question I always want to ask you is, how good is good enough? Do you really think God wants you to spend your whole life hoping that maybe I'm good enough? I think the Bible makes it clear Jesus was good enough. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. And so maybe even right now God is just gripping your heart. He's showing you your righteousness will not hold up, but that Jesus' righteousness will. And so maybe tonight you're, you're realizing that. You're realizing your sinfulness. You're realizing your need for, for Jesus. And so I'm just going to invite you just in this moment right now. Let's just do this. I want to invite you. Maybe you need to pray to God for the first time and just say, God, I need Jesus. I want to place faith, trust in Jesus alone, not myself, not my performance. No matter how good you are, it's not good enough. And some of you, it's very encouraging because you know you're not good enough. Jesus was. And so maybe right now you just need to trust in Jesus. I'm going to invite us just to take the silence of this moment and and just pray to the Lord. Some of you, you're, you're a Christian. You've placed faith in Jesus. You need to pray for those around you. Others of us right now, you just need to pray. And, 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 and say, Jesus, I want to trust in you. I realize my need for you. I realize what you've done. And I want to trust in you. I want to be made right with, with God through you. So take that second and just, just pray to God. The best way you know how, just mean it. And you pass at that moment from death to life, the Bible says. This is the most important decision a person can ever make. And so I just, I want to compel you with the scriptures to trust in Jesus. Because our righteousness will not hold up. But God doesn't leave it at that. He, he, he doesn't condemn us. He places the, the wrath of God upon his son Jesus. So you trust in Jesus and his sacrifice, his death, and you're, you're made new. You're given life and life eternally. You're made a new creature. Now, I want to just stay in this, this, this kind of the spirit of, of prayer in this moment. Some of us are Christians, and, and we know all of this stuff theologically. But the truth is, you, you struggle with resting in the sufficiency of Jesus. You really struggle with that. And, and you find yourself kind of in, in bondage where you're just weighed down and you're just constantly trying to, to keep God's favor. And so faith becomes unenjoyable. 
It becomes arduous. And this is not how he intended life to be. He wants us to, to honor him out of the overflow of our heart. In joy, we trust Jesus. And then out of an overflow of what he's done and, and Jesus' righteousness, we can honor him, not out of fear of losing his favor. Just like I want my kids to obey me, not because they, they have fear that I'm going to put them up for adoption. I want them to obey me out of love for me and out of trust and, and belief that I know what's best and I've got them. And so some of us in the room, you're a Christian, you just need to talk to God and maybe you just need to confess the sin of, of self-sufficiency, the, the sin of shame. So take a moment for that. God, we love you. We are so grateful for this truth. May we hold it so tightly throughout the course of our lives. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Thank you that it is you alone, that you said, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me alone. And so God, forgive us for for trying to live life apart from you. And we know you. know the power of your resurrection. May we, in this life, uh, share in your suffering as we maybe even face opposition in this life. May we do so with full joy, knowing that, that you suffered and, and by your suffering, by your stripes, we are healed. So God, thank you for this truth, Lord. We'll be honored in the rest of our gathering. In Jesus' name, amen.